All right, if you have your copy of God's Word, be finding the, the text that we're in today, and we're going to be in the Gospel of John. So if you can be finding John chapter 19, that will be great. It's good to see y'all again today. So glad y'all are here to, to worship Jesus. And uh, it's kind of funny that we can kind of poke fun of ourselves every now and then, right? And when Robert started off the song, I couldn't tell he was, you started in the wrong key because I'm used to singing in the wrong key. Y'all have heard me sing in the wrong key, right? And Robert, in his goodness and grace, told me one time, he's like, now you need to be careful about hanging these songs you'd like to do as part of your sermons. Uh, he, he, he don't have to tell me that. I know I'm starting all over the board whenever I get in the spirit and I feel like I need to start singing a song. I'm almost there today with you. You'll just have to stay awake because um, I want you to sing with me at a song that y'all know not of. I hope some of you old timers know this song because it's in the Baptist hymnal. All right? We don't have them in our seats, but anyway, y'all hopefully will know this song. We started a series a couple of weeks ago talking about words from the cross. There's seven statements Jesus uttered, and, and theologians believe that, that there's particular order to all the words that Jesus said. And, and we're going to look at one of the statements, the third statement that theologians believe Jesus said in a particular order. We're going to be looking at that today, and our text is going to be John chapter 19. Uh, I love to hear what old preachers have to say, and, and I love to read about old preachers and, and study them because I'm going to be one of those old preachers one day. So I might as well start loving them and, start, and learning from them because you really can learn from people that's been there. And, I, and a prince of preachers years ago, was he was given this title, and he probably would say, uh, don't call me that. Just from what little I know of Charles Spurgeon, I don't think he would um, say, don't call me. I don't think he would say, don't call me a prince of a preacher. But that's what we've called him. He's the prince of preachers. And Charles Spurgeon had this to say about the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. He, he said this. He said, it was most fitting that every word of our Lord upon the cross should be gathered up and preserved. As not a bone of him shall be broken, so not a word shall be lost. Isn't that powerful? As not a bone of him was broken, so not a word shall be lost. The Holy Spirit took special care that each of the sacred utterances should be fittingly recorded. There were, as you know, seven of those last words, and seven is the number of perfection and fullness. Our Lord in his death cries, as in all else, was perfect. There is a fullness of meaning in each utterance which no man shall be able to fully bring forth. And when combined, they make up a vast deep of thought which no human mind can fathom. Here, as everywhere else, we are constrained to say of our Lord, never a man spoke like this. Who speaks like that today? I mean, man, Spurgeon, the mind of this guy. Amid all the anguish of his spirit, Jesus' last words prove him to have remained fully self-possessed, true to his forgiving nature, true to his kingly office, true to his family relationship, true to his God, true to his love of the written word, true to his glorious work, and true to his faith in his Father. I mean, only Spurgeon can say words like that. I mean, who speaks like that today but a prince of a preacher named Charles Spurgeon? Well, we, we looked at the first saying of Jesus a couple of weeks ago. You remember uh, Jesus, this first word that he said was a word of forgiveness. Every sermon I'm going to be preaching from now until Easter, I'm going to give you one word that will just encapsulate the saying of Jesus. And that first statement of Jesus, the first words that he said was a word of forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them for they, they do not know what they're doing. And, and if you recall, if you can remember anything about that message, remember that it wasn't just one time that he said that. He repeatedly said it over and over again, Father, forgive them. 
Father, forgive the ones that are nailing me to the cross, that have literally nailed me to the cross. Hey, Father, forgive that guy named Rod Elliott that's at Sheraw. Hey, Father, forgive, every, for, forgive them, Lord, for they have no idea what they're doing. It's a word of forgiveness. And then the second statement Jesus said from the cross, I call it a word of salvation, a deathbed confession, if you will. The repentant thief at his dying moment said to Jesus, remember me, remember. Aren't you glad Jesus remembers? Remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus gave this word of salvation. He, he said, truly, truly today, verily, verily today, you shall be with me in what? Paradise. You'll be with me in heaven. You'll be with me in paradise. And then today, it's a word of provision. So, so before we read our text, think about this. When Jesus was on that cross, when he was suffering on that wooden cross there, he, he, he looked down at those that were around him. And remember, I've kind of painted the picture. He's not up on a hill some far away where we like to sing to an old rugged cross, which is a great hymn, by the way. But it's, we, we really believe that now, now in this day and age that there wasn't a hill that he was actually crucified on, though the hill was in the background, all right? The Gordon's Calvary that you read about, that you see the pictures of, it's in the background. We really believe Jesus was right there in the midst of the street, right outside the city gate there of Jerusalem. And people could easily come by and hurl insults at him. They could beat him. They could spit upon him. That's just how it was back there in the first century. So while he's suffering on that cross, he looked down into the crowd. And of all the people that were there, he, you got to think he made eye contact with his mom. And he knew, he knew that for the few that were there that loved him, he knew that of all of them, especially his mother, that her heart was breaking. I mean, you can imagine, can't you? We probably don't want to. We, could, we can just imagine the pain that she was enduring seeing, you know, her firstborn son nailed on an instrument of death. And I don't know what, if your mind's like mine, but I often think, well, gosh, I wonder what she thought when Jesus was on the cross. And, and may, maybe her mind went back to Gabriel, the angel Gabriel that, that met her when she was just a young teenager and said, you're highly favored. Uh, you're going to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Maybe she thought back to that encounter. Man, did her life radically change. But maybe she thought back about that encounter when, when Gabriel met with her and gave her these words from, from the great I am. Maybe she thought of how Jesus, when, when she was really, really pregnant, right? Not, when, when you're pregnant, you're really pregnant anyway, but you know, she's in that last trimester. You know, she's making that way, that long, hard trek, and she's not in a minivan, right? Her minivan was called maybe a donkey, but we just think it was a donkey because of the Christmas stories. But she may not even have had a donkey and all that stuff, but she's making her long trek with everybody else from their town where, of Nazareth to they're, they're going to Bethlehem. And what a long trek that was for her. And, and just maybe she was thinking of that long trek and she remembered that baby in her womb that was kicking. Wasn't that cool? Y'all remember that? You can feel the, the baby just kicking and all that stuff. Maybe she was thinking of Jesus at that point. Maybe she thought of how um, Jesus stayed behind there in Jerusalem, and, and they, thought, they thought that he was maybe with relatives and friends, but, but unbeknownst to them, he had stayed behind there at Passover there in Jerusalem, and he was reasoning, the Bible tells us, with the great theologians of the day. And the theologians were just amazed at what this young man 12 years of age was telling them about the scriptures kind of like y'all y'all are amazed aren't you when you hear me preach Amen. yeah thank you Todd I appreciate that 
Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you, you, just, you just wonder. I do. You just wonder what Mary was thinking. Maybe she thought as she looked upon her son. I like this most of all. Maybe she thought of how he used to spend hours with his dad in the carpenter shop, nailing things into wood. And he's there nailed on a cross. You know, who knows what was really going through her mind, but I bet you this, she, she was longing as any mother would to just to hold her son. Maybe she was longing to do what she, what she really wanted to do, any, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's to get him off that cross, just to hold him and to nurse him and to take care of him. But, but her hands that used to hold him are now restrained, and there's nothing she can do because he's up on that cross, and then those little feet that she used to bathe are now nailed there. And there's nothing that Mary, this mother, could do but be there. Can I get off on a tangent like I like to do every now and then? Sometimes when somebody you love is grieving or they're discouraged or they're depressed, the best thing you can do is just to be there. It's called the ministry of presence. You don't have to say a word. You're just there. And that's what Mary and others at the foot of the cross were doing. They, they were just there. There was nothing they could do. They were just there for Jesus. And as Jesus looked down at her and at the others that were not afraid to be there and to identify with them, but as he looked down at her in particular, I think at that time he was thinking of the fifth commandment to honor your father and your mother. And he made a provision for her. Y'all with me? All right, so look there with me in your copy of God's Word, and let's read our text for today. John chapter 19, and we're going to begin at verse 23. Here's what the Bible says. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, and Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his home. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for the people that you have gathered in this place today. Father, I pray that um, you will um, give me clarity of thought. May nothing I say or do take away from what you want to accomplish in the hearts and minds that you've given to us today. Lord, I, I think about that first miracle, you've turned water into wine, and Father, I feel like uh, I've prepared I feel like I know it, but Lord, um, it's just water. So I pray that you'll turn it into wine this morning. Speak to us as only you can. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? amen? Amen. So Jesus looked down at his mother, and in these last words, he gave her a word of provision. And some of you might be saying, well, how in the world, when he's on the cross at his dying moments, what in the world could he do to provide for her? Well, there's a couple of things he did while he was on the cross in his dying moments. He, gave, so he gives a word of provision. Not only, let me just tell you what he does. Oh, man. He gives us, uh, he, he provided for Mary. He gave her a word of provision. Even when he was on the cross, he provided for her. There again, if you got your Bibles open, red letter words. Woman, 
Behold your son. So when, when Jesus was on the cross and he gave her a word of provision, he was accomplishing several things. One of the things he was doing was he was giving her a kingdom understanding, if you will. He gave Mary a kingdom understanding. Mary was trying to understand why is my son on the cross? He has done nothing wrong. Why is he, he's not a criminal. Why is he on the cross? Notice that he calls her, calls her woman. I would not advise for any of our kids to call your mom woman. All right? Woman. My mom's here with, with me today. Woman. Yeah. Anyway, I'll pay for that later on. But anyway, I wouldn't advise you to do that. Spurgeon, <laughs> Spurgeon said of this that Jesus' language teaches us not to worship Mary because he didn't venerate her at that particular time. No, no time in scriptures does he do that. He calls her woman because he wants us to focus on him and not upon her. Focus on the one who's giving his life, who's giving it all. But yet he focused upon her needs and her grace. Jesus was on the cross and, and she believed who he was. She believed he was the Messiah. But maybe like a lot of Jews of the day, she's thinking, does, he's not the Messiah we were really thinking of. We really thought he was going to be like another David. He was going to usher in us this kingdom that we used to, we've talked about in history. And maybe that was the type of Messiah she thought. Maybe that was the type of Messiah that others around her thought they were getting. So Jesus had to remind her, my kingdom is not of this world. So even when he was on the cross, he was thinking, my mom needs to be reminded of a kingdom mindset. She needs to have a kingdom mindset. And I think he did this many times. There again, when Jesus was 12, he's in Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and, and, they're in, and, and, and he's left, they leave him behind there. They packed up the, the car, if you will, and they've gone back home. And they're almost back home. They realize, well, wait a minute, where's Jesus? Y'all ever left a kid behind before? Confession's good for the soul? Yeah, we've even done it at church. I know y'all want to leave them at church every now and then, don't you? Don't act like y'all so holy. I know y'all do. Yeah, they thought he was with relatives, but, but he's back at the synagogue, and they finally find him. You wonder what they really said to him. Gosh, wouldn't you like to know what they said? Jesus, we thought you were with us or with relatives. And where were you? And then this 12-year-old boy says, why are you looking for me? Don't you wonder how he said it? Why are you looking for me? Don't you know I must be about my father's business? What 12-year-old talks that way? I must be about my father's business. I wish I knew how Jesus said it, but he's telling her right then and there. He's reminding her, I'm the Messiah. I'm not a normal 12-year-old. I'm here as the Messiah. So even at this young age of 12, he's already teaching his mother and Joseph about a kingdom understanding. And we need to be reminded about that. That when it comes to Jesus, it is a kingdom mindset we've got to have. Later on in John's Gospel, chapter 2, where Jesus uh, was at the wedding feast and he turns the water into wine, you remember his mother basically said, do whatever he tells you to do and do it. And that's what the servants did. And, and Jesus turned the water into wine. But then Jesus was talking to her and he's like, mother, you can't treat me like that. You can't treat me like I'm just some son that you're to order around whenever you want something to be done. I'm here to do the Father's will. And the Father's will supersedes your will. So he's telling his mother, I, I'm the Messiah. You may not understand it all, but, but I've got to be about my Father's business. So even when Jesus was on the cross, he was about his Father's business. So while he's on the cross, he accomplished the will of the Father, and it wasn't an accident. 
He was about the father's business, yet, yet he looked at his mother and he says, even though I'm here, I'm going to provide for you. And he gives us this word of provision. <laughs> you know, more than anything else, you and I need to be reminded, I think, more than once, right? That we need to be having a, a kingdom mindset. You know, we're here for the kingdom, not just for Sheral. We do, Hey, do we want to see Sheral come to Christ? Absolutely. But, but it's more than that. It's a kingdom mindset. And God's going to open doors of ministry like he already has. This world's not our home. We're just passing through. It's a kingdom mindset we're to have. So Jesus also gave her this kingdom mindset. He provided for her in that way. But then secondly, he gave her societal protection. You see, a widow in this day in the first century was very vulnerable, and he's shielding her from the dangers and the brutality of being a widow in that day. The Bible says, the Bible says God has a special place in his heart for those that are orphans and widows. We read over in Psalms 146, verse 9, the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, and he frustrates the ways of the wicked. We read over in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, learn to do right, seek justice, to defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. James puts it this way, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and then to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, so, so we've got to love the Lord and we've got to honor him and if we're going to do both those things, we're going to be loving the people that he died for. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Amen. Amen. So he provided her with a kingdom understanding. He provided her with societal protection. But then he did this. Oh, he, he provided some material resources for her. And you say, really? Where's that in Scripture here? It's in the person of John. You see, John was a businessman. And he and James, his brother, had run a business in Galilee with their father Zebedee. They, they were fishermen. I mean, they knew how to fish. Before there was Bill Dance, there were these guys. They knew how to fish. And John knew how to conduct and handle business affairs. Think about it. There were no IRAs back then. There's no Social Security. There's no retirement plans. But Jesus knew that John knew how to take care of money. He, he ran a business, and, and he just knew that John was going to be able to provide for her. And history attests to the day she died, John took her into his home and took care of Mary. And I just want to tell you that God will take care of you. The older you get, you need not fret because God will take care of you. You know, some of you might worry about retirement. I get it. Some of you might worry about growing older. I get that too. <laughs> and the older I get, the more I get it. Some of you might be worrying the older you get about some type of disease you might get. You might worry you might outlive your money. And oh my gosh, what if that were to happen? I don't know if you're going to outlive your money, but... God outlives your money. And God, my God, will take care of you. I, I love this old hymn. Y'all probably knew I was going there. Be not dismayed, whatever be tied. God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. Y'all know that? Because the chorus goes like this. God will take care of you through every day. For all the way, he will take care of you. <laughs> God will take care of you. I believe that with all my heart. So as you get older, 
claim this promise. Write this down, Isaiah 46, verse four. And this is from the Holman Standard Translation. I like how it reads, Isaiah 46, verse four. I will be the same until your old age, and I will bear you up when you turn gray. I have made you, I will bear you, and I will save you. God will never, ever, ever stop taking care of you. He will meet your needs, he will provide for you, and what he expects from us is to trust in him. So he gives Mary all these things. He's on the cross. He provides for her a kingdom understanding, societal protection, material resources, and then he provides for her loving companionship too. He loved Mary and he loved John. Five times John is referred to in the New Testament as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I wonder if John rubbed that in every, every now and then. Hey, hey guys, I'm, hey, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. Y'all remember that? Yeah, that's me. I don't think he was that way, but you wonder if he is every now and then. Hey, some people say preachers shouldn't have close friends. Some of my closest friends in the ministry have always been my deacons. And I know we like to joke about deacons and stuff like that, but some of my closest friends because of my spiritual leaders in the church have been my, have been my deacons and my staff. I don't, I don't really go with that argument that preachers shouldn't have close friends in the church. Can I quote another old hymn? Tell it to Jesus. Because Jesus had three of the disciples that were closer to him than the 12. He had 12 that were closer than the 70, and he had 70 that were closer to him than all the rest. So I think Jesus understood what we read in Ecclesiastes, that two are better than one, and they're going to have a good reward for their efforts. So Jesus was making sure that Mary was going to be taken care of. So he provided for her. Y'all with me? Say amen if you are. All right. So, but not only did he provide for Mary, he provided for John. Because y'all remember, John's the disciple Jesus loved, right? He provided for John as well. Look at verse 27 again. He says, he says woman, behold your son. And then he says in verse 27, John... Behold your mother. And there again, from that hour, the disciple took her into his home and he provided for her. And you wonder, what was Jesus thinking here? I think he was doing a couple of things and I've got them on the screen for you. One of the things I think John provided, or Jesus provided for John, was someone to share his sufferings. He wanted someone to, to be there with him. Jesus says, John, you take my mom and together you go through this season of suffering. Aren't you glad that a season is just that? It's just a season when life is hard, man, I'm glad it's just a season that's hard. John was closest to Jesus in life. John was closest to Jesus in death. It's interesting how few of the disciples are actually there at the cross. We're only given the names of, of a few here. Jesus is suffering, and, and the only man that we see here in Scripture that's there with him is John. You talk about truly identifying with a friendship that's tight. He was there. He experienced the pain that Jesus was going through. Paul said in Romans 8, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, we're also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we also may be glorified with him. I, I can tell you this much. I may not know what John was thinking when Jesus was on the cross, but he was identifying in his suffering. He knew exactly what Jesus was. Y'all know what it's like when someone you love is suffering. You suffer with them. You know, back in um, 2013, gosh, time flies. But back in 2013, I, I had the privilege of going to Israel on an all-expense-paid trip. I didn't have to pay for it. And I went in a um, life-changing experience. I really think it changed and added to, to my preaching. 
But uh, when I was there, um, the thought would, would hit me about the Christians that lived either in Israel or Syria or Jordan. And, and then the thought crosses my mind about Christians that are in China, that are um, in the underground church, if you will. I think of a, a refugee that was a Christian that was in Iran, and he left there and took kind of a, I don't, for lack of a better word, asylum uh, in another country near them that um, is, is really a closed country for Christians. Hear me. But we, the name of the country is something we eat every Thanksgiving. Are y'all with me? Some of you are going, what in the world is he talking about? Ask somebody after the service. <laughs> and and, and you, I wonder about those guys that suffer for being a Christian. We're not exempt from that. And I don't know if it would ever happen here, suffering the way some of our Christian brothers and sisters suffer because they're followers of Christ, but we need to be prepared for it. And whenever it comes, realize that God has not given us a spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, but a spirit of power and love and a self-discipline. The last thing you need to do is to be walking around Sherrall or Hartsville or Darlington or wherever you're going to be going in the PD with an attitude of fear. The last thing you need to be, be about is intimidated by the devil. The enemy gives us a spirit of fear, not the Lord. So if you're suffering, don't worry about it. If someone gets mad at you because you believe that marriage is just between a man and a woman, so be it. Let them get mad at you. Who would you rather offend, the Lord or man? I'd rather offend men. And marriage is an institution of God, not an institution of the government. If somebody gets mad at you and you suffer before it because you believe that life begins at conception, you don't have to worry. You're mad because somebody don't agree with you. You're on God's side. Life begins at conception. And if somebody gets mad at you and you suffer for it, so be it. So think about this. When we suffer for Jesus, it's like he gives us a platform for telling others about him. Anyway. So he gives John someone to share in his sufferings. But then he also gives John an an opportunity for service and he gives you and me an opportunity for service and I, want, I want to say something to you good things will happen to you when you stay close to Jesus when you stay close to him and you walk with him good things will happen to you everybody else here in the, in the scriptures here everybody was gone but who's there the only man we know that was there was John and it says John an opportunity for service for you you stay close to me do this for me take care of my mom I bet you anything Peter wishes he would have been there. As far as we know, he wasn't, right? I bet you anything Peter would have loved to have heard Jesus say, Peter, I want you to take care of Mary. But as far as we know, the only one that's there is John. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, verse 10, we are his creation created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Jesus is saying on his dying Breath in his dying breath. Hey, John, one more opportunity to serve. Take care of mom. So he provides someone to be there in his sufferings. He gives John an opportunity for service. And then John's going to be rewarded for his faithfulness. When you start counting the disciples at Calvary, you don't need your fingers and you don't need your toes, do you? You can count the ones that are there on one hand. Four women at the foot of the cross. And as far as we know, one man. But John was rewarded for his faithfulness. Let me just ask you, Christian, are you in a position for God to bless you? You know, everybody else might be doing their own thing, living their life for their own way, but, but it's your life living for Jesus. 
Matthew 25, 21 says that his master said to him, well done, good and faithful uh, servant, which is another word for saying slave. You were faithful over a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. If you're living for Jesus in this life, you will be rewarded. Not only in the next life to come, but I believe he's going to reward you now for living for Jesus. So he gives you a reward for faithfulness. He gives John an opportunity to serve him. He gives John someone to share in his sufferings, but then he gives John a friendship like no other here. I mean, John, you're going to fill a void in Mary's life, and, and Mary's going to fill a void in your life. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at what? All times. And that's what Jesus provided for John. Now, is that the end of the story? No, 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 no. Aren't you glad it's not the end of the story? Amen. It's not the end of the story because while Jesus is on the cross, not only did he provide for Mary, not only did he provide for John, but guess who else he provided for? Oh, yeah, he provided for you. He provided for me as well. You say, well, what, what, what did he provide? He's on the cross for Pete's sake. What did he provide for me? Uh, man, so many things. He, he, provided, uh, he provided for you and for me a family. He showed us we should love our family members. He honored his mother. You know, if, if you're married, you should have the attitude, not um, what can my spouse do for me, but what can I do for my spouse? And if your parents are still alive or some other family member that you, that you love, and they might push your buttons every now and then, but if they're family, they're family. That's what families do, right? Notice I'm smiling. Y'all can smile too. We're to honor them and we're, and we're to love them. He shows us the priority for family here. The Bible says in Exodus 20, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land. And, and, and Jesus does that. And he gives us something else while he's on the cross. He gives us an example of selflessness. Jesus not only died for our sins on the cross, he died to himself on the cross. He never thought of himself. If he was thinking of himself, he was off that cross. What kept him on the cross was thinking of us. He saved a penitent thief. He's praying for those who nailed him to the cross. He's thinking of people like you and me today. Jesus taught us not only how we should die to self, but how we should deny self. We read over in Matthew 16, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will what? will find it. So, and Jesus lived that out every single day. He provided for us. The priority of family, he gives us an example of selflessness, but then he also does this as well. He gives us the assurance of, of provision, and that goes back to what I said earlier. We don't have to worry. Is God going to provide for us? You can be assured that God will provide for you. He's dying on the cross, and, and he's making sure that his mom is going to be taken care of, that John's going to be taken care of. He's making sure that we're going to be taken care of. A great, great chapter in the Word of God is Romans 8, and we read in verse 32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how he will not also with him graciously give us all things. That means this. If God will give his only son for us to die on the cross, don't you think he will provide for us as well? He will provide. He will meet your needs. If you lost your job, he will provide for you. If you lose your spouse, he will provide for you. If you find yourself in sickness, he will provide for you. Y'all catch my drift here? He is a, that's in Hebrew. Catch my drift. He's a God of provision, and he will provide for you. And you see the last one. He, will, he also provides for us the requirement of service here. Just as Jesus expected John to serve, get this, he expects you to serve. Amen. 
He really does. He wants you to serve. He wants you to get in the game, if you will. Hey, this world needs Jesus, right? How about Sharal? This world needs Jesus. Sharal needs Jesus. Hey, here's the thought. The Holy Spirit of God lives in me. Y'all know why? Because I'm a Christian. There's a day in my life that I gave my life to Jesus. So because I'm a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God indwells in me. And in, in, in just a few weeks, you know, we're going to be living here among you. We're going to be living in Sherall. Most of y'all live in Sherall, right? Some of y'all might live in Wallace, elsewhere, but y'all are here. Y'all, don't, y'all with me? Y'all are here. So if y'all are Christians, guess who else lives here in Sherall or Wallace or Paisley or Jefferson? But the Holy Spirit of God lives here. So if God lives in us and we live here, guess what should be different? Sherall ought to be different. Where you live ought to be different. He gives us this opportunity to serve. And I just want to encourage you, if you ever are thinking about a picture of selflessness, it's Jesus on the cross. Instead of thinking of himself, he provides for others here. I don't know what's um, going on in your life, but certainly not how God knows. But if you quit singing the blues, I think you'll be a better person. And if you start thinking of the needs of others and put others ahead of yourself, I think you'll be a better person. Know that the God who saved you will take care of you. He's a God of provision. And until the day he calls you home, listen, before the day he calls you home, he's got you in the palm of his hand. And you can leave here today knowing that whatever happens to you in this life, this side of eternity, God's holding on to you. It's not about how much you're holding on to him. Trey, you with me? It's about how much he's holding on to us. He's got you, and he's got us. I'm not about to sing for you again. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? (laughs) But just listen to this. Consider the lilies, they don't toil nor spin, and there's not a king with more splendor than them. Consider the sparrows that don't plant nor sow, but they're fed by the master who watches them grow. We have a heavenly father above with eyes full of mercy and a heart full of love. He really cares when your head is bowed low. Consider the lilies, and then you will know. He'll provide for you. Y'all believe that? With all my heart, I do. Jesus said, behold your mother, behold your son. Let me ask you to bow your head, every head bowed and every eye closed. Father God, thank you for making a way for us. Thank you for providing us the ultimate Sacrifice the ultimate provision by going to the cross for us, by forget, for offering us forgiveness of our sins, by laying down your life so every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place today might have a relationship with you, might have their sins forgiven, might have an eternal home in heaven. And Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray before this day is done, they'll be settled with you. They'll be ready to, to meet you in that great by and by. Lord, thank you for providing us a family, not only our biological family, thank you for our church family. Uh, Lord, um, we're better together. We need each other. We, we receive encouragement from one another. We, we receive fellowship from, from one another. We strengthen one another as well. So Lord, thank you for providing us a church family. We're not perfect, no church is. But Lord, you want us to be a part of a local church. And if I'm speaking to someone's heart today and they've, they've been here week in and week out, maybe even for months, maybe even for years, but they've never said, this is where I want to be. Lord, may this be the day they, they just settle that with you. 
Lord, I pray more than anything, they'll settle with you. The provision you made for them on the cross. May not a soul leave here unless they know that they're saved. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you.